This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's going on guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Yeah, get that energy up. We're here on a Wednesday afternoon uh, in nice Las Vegas, Nevada, joined by a special guest special. who normally hosted uh, the show from LA, as well as a new software wire coach and wonderful friend, Ewan McNicholas. Hello, Ewan. What's Thank up? You. Thank Welcome you. to the show. Thank you very much. What's this posture? Stop. Already, already <laughs> we're into the, the posture. You okay. said you're going to have How's some that? good posture today. It's hold okay, up, it's okay up, big hold guy. Up. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> that's, that's your intro? You stole oh, no. your intro? Why am I frozen? Why yeah, am I frozen? frozen why? This is why I took the intro. <laughs> this is your frozen. What's going buddy? on here, Guapo? You're killing. Uh, why you do this to your man? I'm We're sorry, supposed to be buddy. boys, Wop. Listen, <laughs> What's going on? It's, it's, it's been a mess Bro. from the jump. I'm going to cut to land and we're going to fucking screen. <laughs> we're going to figure this out. I no, literally this knew nice. this was like going to happen. That's Berkey's poker face. I knew else. this was going to happen. He's like, Matt's like, oh, I want to do the intro from the bike. I want to talk about everything that happened yesterday. I'm like, you know what? I know what happens when people call in. There is just always going to be issues. And that's okay because we all fall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Matt's just molding right now, not getting able to be back on the screen. It's amazing. No, oh, look, he's back. Okay, there he is. We're here in HD, live from the Bicycle Hotel and Casino <laughs> in Los Angeles. I almost said Nevada, California. Uh, we got a lot, a lot to talk about today. Um, not really, actually, a lot. We just have <laughs> a lot of live at the bike stuff to talk about. Bet you guys didn't think that was going to happen anytime soon. Uh, oh man! Landon, why don't you take over the hosting duties? Uh, I'm here for the duration, but I want it to be your show because, okay. as you can see, it looks like I'm calling from a bomb shelter. Somewhere <laughs> can you please hold up a newspaper to show proof of life? Because I mean, this is, is pretty Chin, brutal. Is Chin in there with you? <laughs> <laughs> I have my creatine. That's creatine. Okay. Creatine's good enough for me. We're in. Lock in, <laughs> baby. Okay. Lock in with the creatine. <laughs> We're locked in, baby. Let's do it. Wow. This is the first time you've been on the show, Sir McNicholas. It is. How's it feel? Yeah, it's good. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to it. <laughs> wow. i you with all the hard questions early, huh? Yeah, yeah. Listen, we have, to, we have to ease into it. This has become, from last year, one of my... I would, consider, I would consider us best friends or best mates, if you will. Yeah, besties. Besties. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I love that for you guys. Do you? I love that for me too. Do you remember awesome. how we met? Yeah, we were playing some tournament in the win, I think, and mm -hmm. uh, we played a fun hand together. And you were surprised that I was bluffing. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I yeah, that's what it was. He, uh, I opened Queen Nine of Hearts under the gun. He defends Big Blind. Board ends up running out where a turn is like a good lead spot for Big Blind, and he leads. And I was like, "All right, this guy's clearly good at the card game." And then I just have a hand, turn open-ended, river straight. He jams, somehow has a bluff. And I'm like, <laughs> how do people actually have a bluff here? You must be good at poker. I'm Landon. Nice to meet you. Yep. And we both had long hair back then, too. Yeah. yeah. You never I'd, met? I had really long hair. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't know you when you had long hair. I'm trying to picture it on you right now. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> a different look. Yeah. 
a different look. It was, it was honestly a pretty good version. Like, you know, if young, if there was a show called Young Hagrid, <laughs> Ewan would be Young Hagrid. So Hagrid? Jack from Harry Potter. Jack Hardcastle used to call me Skinny Hagrid. I don't get the Harry Potter Hagrid. references. Really? He used to yeah. call you Skinny Hagrid. He used to call me Skinny Hagrid. Makes sense. <laughs> can, we, can we get a graphic for Brian? I need, I need Brian to commit to the bit here. I mean, uh, I will commit as long as I know what the bit is. <laughs> we, uh, Landon, we got to work on some things. If, if you are able to start approaching women and having a filter for high quality women that you'd like to date, the same way that you do at curating friendships with <laughs> other talented poker players, you're gonna be all right, man. Oh you're my! Really I saw well. I saw one of the funniest uh, like Instagram reels along this conversation where it's like a guy like people guys when they try to introduce themselves to like their bro like their guy friends and it's like infinite riz where it's like yo you looking big as fuck my guy like even in the gym I see you doing numbers and it's so easy and then it's like when guys talk to a girl you know. Holy, holy shit, you talked to me. Holy shit, you, like running away. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I talked to a girl. But look, we'll get there. You got to start small. Mm -hmm. You got to well, start man, small. You're doing work. Uh, all, of the young, all of the young individuals within this game that you've introduced me to have been so remarkably... I, I don't even like know what the proper word is. I want to say mature, but like the reality is like they're, they're all like such upstanding young gentlemen. Yeah, Which, I have an eye for my talent. Experience with, the, with your age group overall has not been bad. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, when I first kind of met a uh, quick shout out to my boy Philip Shing, uh, legend uh, in the streets, where when as soon as I met Philip, uh, he's like older though, I was like, yeah, this guy's going to be an absolute animal when it comes to poker and just has been going on the sickest rip since taking the jump to moving straight full-time professional. And... I think part of it is seeing how people view the game as well as the way that they act during. Like even after the hand, like it wasn't, there was no like anger or like anything like that. It was just kind of fun. We were just like, yeah. it, just, it kind of is what it is. And look, all of the girl stuff later, that is for a conversation for another day. <laughs> and right now we're here with, I'm, it's crazy because I'm so happy that we met genuinely. Like, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. I went to, when I went to London, I ended up staying with Ewan and the boys over there, the mates, if you will, for a couple weeks. Went to the uh, 24 Hour Fitness and oh, yeah. uh, introduced him to like foam roll stretching. That yeah. was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I do He's not like, like foam you know, roll stretching. <laughs> uh, like lats or like right, like right here on the side of the shoulder was probably one of the funniest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. It was not. It was not fun for me. Was, yeah. So, anyways, I feel, like, I feel like the side of your quads is much worse. <laughs> like on your like lateral side, that's like the most painful. Yeah, I mean, it's all painful until you kind of get into the stretching routine. But, anyways, how did you get into poker in the first place? Like, we kind of have a similar-ish story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I played a bit while I was at uni, kind of not not too seriously, uh, and. I ended up quitting uni at two different times. I wasn't, wasn't very good at studying uh, for, for subjects I didn't really enjoy. <laughs> uh, and then at the start of the pandemic, I, I was a, an outdoor activity instructor before the pandemic. So I was like teaching climbing, kayaking and stuff. 
Ewan, if you can get that mic a little bit closer. You to have it. to feel attacked by it. Feel attacked. It's like Vi violated, I think, is the word for to use. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's <laughs> fantastic. Right. Uh, so I was like climbing and kayaking and stuff like that. And then that all got shut down because of COVID. So I kind of didn't really know what to do. So I just started. Needed a new activity. Yeah, I, I started playing poker uh, and then kind of just have got really, really lucky since. And here we are. Eh, I don't know if it's just luck. I, uh, <laughs> There's been I, lots of luck I got out a there. little uh, insight into your poker game uh, watch when we were filming Poker Out Loud. And uh, you are a pretty, pretty sharp mind when it comes to the game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've, I've done lots of study and I've worked mm -hmm. really hard, but right. I've also run in the no, top 1% like for sure. it's kind of like both, right? Yeah. You, you, you work hard and, uh, and, and you're fortunate and it leads you to where you are. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very aware that I've run very good, but <laughs> I kind good. of think there's... There's always yeah. going to be like a lot of survivorship bias for people that of course that make it in poker. Yep. So yeah, it's good a lot more likely that you of, have of run reality. very good than than run bad. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very good starting place when it came to even how I knew. Like I guess like when we met, I'm like, oh, like this clearly knows what's going on because everyone that's call it has made it in some capacity. And I would consider playing online high stakes Zoom on stars and playing uh, toughest games in the world effectively in the online arena. We all know that hard work goes into it, but at the same time, there definitely still a survivorship bias of there is a chance that somewhere before those lines, you've ran terribly and horribly bad that poker just wasn't for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Or just didn't have the ability to have the role to sustain, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, there's other soft skills involved, like bankroll management, like being able to move down and still play good poker. Yeah. But at the same time, realizing that yeah, I am lucky to be here is a valuable thing to have in the back of your mind that kind of keeps you grounded. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now you're playing tournaments. Right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still playing cash. I'm playing a mix of tournaments and cash, kind of a mix of what are you live doing and online. More? There is something about playing live tournaments and going deep that oh, we'll, we'll never thrill, get old. right? There's yeah. a lot of, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I love tournaments. Yeah. Do you wanna, I also love cash games. Do you want to tell us about uh, your first live tournament ever? It's very similar. We have very similar stories. It's we crazy. Do. We do. Both used to have long hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I won the first live 1K I ever played, which was. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it helps. Really? <laughs> you, you had been playing a lot of tournaments online before? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd, I'd been playing lots, lots so of This online. is the first live one. It, I mean, is this it wasn't the first it, live you just, tournament. You had just turned was... 21. Is that why you hadn't played any live ones no, before? No, no. So it's, gambling age in the UK is 18 anyway. Oh, so. okay. Gotcha. But. Uh, no, it was just, it was coming out of lockdown. So mm -hmm. before then I'd, oh. I'd played some, some right. tournaments before that. Mm -hmm. like I'd played some of the student tournaments. Where was this at? This was uh, a Groves and a Poker tournament in the Vic in London. Yeah. And then you get the tournament bug from there. Oh yeah. You just <laughs> chase them around. When you win your first one, it usually locks you in. Yeah. They got me for life. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I remember when I first transitioned to playing tournaments more when I first moved out to Vegas and played online tournaments, came out for the bracelet series that first happened because of COVID, I <clears throat> had a resentment to MTTs. I remember this. I was like, I'm pretty sure there are tweets from a couple years ago of, I will never play MTTs professionally. This is the worst <laughs> idea I've ever seen. And then I won the MSPT in November, mm -hmm. like the first live tournament I played in Vegas. And now here we are where I just have not played cash live in a very long time besides stream games and have devoted all of my time and focus 
when it's in the poker sphere into MTTs because there is translatable skill sets that I'm sure you and, uh, and Matt can attest to. We're just learning SPRs, learning how to play wider ranges and knowing the bounds of your range can allow you to then extrapolate and move those into different arenas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nearly all of the study I do is in for cash games. I just play, play some DTO for the tournament study and that's and then run some preflop stuff. And that's kind of about it, really. And then all the like hardcore study I do is for cash. Yeah. And like, I, it's, it's so transferable. Mm. I really think it is. Yeah, yeah. We are very much the same. And I'm going to let you cook <laughs> as we carry on with this interview a little bit more. But the people are here for the fucking clickbait, man. They want to hear about the drama. And as far as I saw, Helmut burnt the fucking bike down yesterday. <laughs> He had had enough. Yeah. Did you guys? Did you guys happen to catch the little stream we were playing yesterday? Yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we saw some some solid poker. <laughs> I like that we got a heads up from production that Phil Hummuth is good. Don't go anywhere. Phil Hummuth is gonna bust. Is gonna blow up in about an hour. <laughs> Man, actually, the, the teases are super sharp. Yeah, for sure. Because um, nobody nobody's gonna click off of that at that point. Okay, so I, I have a few a few elements that I want to talk about about this stream, uh, and I guess like it's probably best to just go in order. So first and foremost, before my ass hit the chair, Helmuth was already ready to just grill me. He he had been sitting on this for a while. It was clear he wanted to have a tough combo with me, and he leads with, uh, "Okay, Berkey, I have." something I want to talk to you about. You were whining and I just cut him off. I'm like, well, if we're, if we're talking about whining, I assume we're talking about you at this point. <laughs> so the needles, the needles flew pretty quick. Um, but I, I want to get it out of the way first and foremost, like, because like, we're going to have a lot of fun at Phil's expense on this show. It's just, it's natural. And to be clear, like I want to, I want to, I want to make it more clear because we had this conversation off stream. Uh, and I don't think that it comes across this way because I do take such a hard stance, but I like Phil as a person. Uh, and I like what he's done for the game. I even liked the like bad boy bratty persona that he's built. Like you do you man. Like if that's the marketing tactic you want to take, fine. You're not hurting anyone in the process. I'm very hype. I'm hypercritical of the things that I think can potentially have fallout for others. And I think that as somebody who's well-educated in the space with a platform, it's kind of our duty to alert the public when something is like a really awful buy. So like I would never be the one to tear Phil down for selling at like 1.05 to a high roller. Do I think he's worth it? Probably not, but I don't give a shit because that's a fair markup for winning players. And now we're just debating whether or not he's winning. Yeah. But like the, the conversation we were having yesterday was, why did you drag me so hard for selling in these hundred K's at big markup when I've won $200,000 for you stake, uh, um, consumers. And it's like, well, because you're literally selling in a markup that is unbeatable by computers. Like we don't even know if a SIM would have greater than 1.3 ROI. Right. Um, and, and to be clear, like what I think it may get lost is, I don't care if he sells at 1.3, the market is out there. Let them decide, but I'm not going to let him. And maybe that's a, that's poor phrasing. Uh, I think it's, I think it's important 
that there are voices out there that are willing to communicate to people who may fall for a bad buy that you can never make money off this. If you want an entertaining sweat, go ahead, pay the 30% markup. Right. But you just want people to have the, you are, just want the consumer to have the information. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like, I, I tried to compare it to other markets, but uh, it would be as if there were, uh, you know, other, other sort of like invest investments, maybe the wrong idea because it is kind of entertainment as well. Um, but it would just be like markets existing where we absolutely know what the, the max rate of return is and people are just charging more. And there isn't much information out there to, to explain to consumers that they're capped and that they're just basically, you know, feeding money into a slot machine, so to speak, yeah. where there isn't really the big payoff. It's a, um, uh, and we even saw it when, call it, when Keating said he wanted to put some action on stake Kings and he wasn't even selling at markup and was selling a face and was like, right. look, I'm going to be honest. I'm out here blasting and people are going to know that if they're going to like take a piece and take a sweat, they're in it for the gamble. They're not in it for, this is definitely a positive ROI situation. And I think that this is a good investment. Whereas if you're right, selling at 1.3 and you leverage your uh, likeness and say 1.3 is beatable, I'm the best in the world. When we have pretty good, like theoretical data to th assume that nobody in the field is winning at 1.3 in this that's, way. That's but what does your ROI right? have to be if, if you're selling at 1.3? Uh, technically, it can be whatever you want, right? But like some people go through the ideas of half of the money goes to the investor, half goes to the player. So like it's double what you're selling at. So if it's 60% ROI, so like investors get a good deal. Some people chop it up in two thirds and they say 45%. So you're charging 30%, making 15% on your gains, well, right? It just depends on what you think is, point is obviously 30. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, but, the, yeah. that's the simple answer. Okay, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who profits. It's just like, in order to break even, it's obviously 30. Yeah, like if you're selling at 1.3, the ROI to break even is 30. Is it's, yes. Uh, and that's the big difference. Like, Landon highlighted the key point here is that I don't give a fuck if Keating sells a losing proposition because he was very transparent and straightforward and said, look, guys, I'm blasting. If I were you, I would not buy me, right? right? Phil does the opposite. Phil leverages his celebrity and just like goes pretty hard about the fact that he's the best to ever do it. And that this is, uh, th th this is a, 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 a great buy and that he's made so much money for you stake investors and all this. He goes the route of used car salesman. And that's where I start to take issue with it because there are people that are just going to like him and listen to him and believe what he has to say. And that's where I think it becomes problematic. Now, if you noticed when we started speaking out really heavily, his high, his high rollers that had unbeatable markup attached did not sell. And I think that that's a, a clear representation of educating the market a little bit, which is generally going to be a good thing, albeit probably not for the field. Like the field probably benefits from him being able to sell at these outrageous rates. Yeah, that's definitely true. So it's kind of the in-between of opinion versus not necessarily giving education or stepping in where you don't belong, but just kind of making it known that what is being advertised isn't what's being sold to you. And that's kind yeah, of a big I deal. Want, I just want to be clear that it's not a personal attack. Like, right. I, it it I, doesn't I, matter if it's Phil doing it or I mean, anybody else. Right. I, I truly enjoy Phil. He's a lunatic in <laughs> some of the best ways and some of the most insane ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, whatever we had our little bit of back and forth and I think he understood at least by the end of it. Like, I think we came to an agreement where, uh, he realized that 
I wasn't doing it out of malice and I'm not just dr- now the whole Phil stinks thing. Again, that's not out of malice, but like I wholeheartedly believe that like uh, there are two conversations to have. <laughs> there are two conversations to have and they're incredibly separate. Right. He is one of the best world series of poker tournament players of all time. Period. Hard stop. Numbers wise, you you wins molding right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't, don't know about this. <laughs> gonna buy that. It's like, yeah, he's won sixteen bracelets, yeah. seventeen bracelets, whatever it is. But sixteen. Like a lot of them are in small fields. It's like you say, uh, he's the best ever. Is there like you in the take the main event right? There's at least like 200 people you'd take over Phil if you had to, like, if you got an opportunity I, to, like, I think, take I think 10%. what Berkey's saying is is the totality of uh, the World Series well, as yeah, it's so, been throughout the years, right? Yeah. He's not going to say he's the best player at this exact moment, but over the course sure. of, okay. you know, it's like it's like saying Phil, or like, you know, Tom Brady. <clears throat> Tom Brady wasn't the best quarterback to play last year, right? There's way better quarterbacks than him, but he's the so GOAT. Phil was the, the best player in the, like, the, goat, the 90s just... and the, the noughties where well, kind of everyone was I clueless. Think, <laughs> I, I think what Phil has done has managed to transcend the decades as well as the game formats. So do I think he's the best player in any singular field? Maybe not. But I think that he's like top tier in most fields under 10k buy-in and the fact that he's been able to maintain that for 35 years right throughout like all of the mixed games et cetera, et cetera. there's a very small number of people in that conversation yeah think it's about like, the people that were winning right in the 90s right oh, no. yeah that's fair yeah yeah like i i'm on the side of taking the stance that as an all-around competitor in many different fields all of the mixed games, all of the different tournaments, the guy gets W's. And to say that he doesn't get W's is a little bit of not looking at the data that we've seen of just having 16 wins. Yeah, but then you, you run like these tournament variance calculators <laughs> and you see these outliers the whole time. It's just like, it would be shocking if there weren't people that went on runs like he, like he does. That's true. Humans are just so results oriented that you can't, you can't like dismiss the fact that because someone's won 16 bracelets, yeah. they have to be the best. I, I don't think you're going to convince well, you and Burke. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not trying to. And, He's a numbers guy. Like, I, I, think what, I think what Ewan is saying is more true yeah. now than it was in the past. Uh, I think that Phil has some sort of internal comprehension of risk and perhaps like uh, how it applies to the ICM model. Like he, he, more so than anybody else knows that your final chip is worth more than uh, all of the other chips combined, right? right? He's understood that for for many, many decades. There are things that like he does incredibly well, uh, particularly pre <laughs> Sometimes too well. Well, but particularly like pre-solver that just allowed him to be an outlier. Like I, I, yeah, I understand like correlation does not equal causation, but I think that if we look at the entire scope of his work, there was at least time periods where he for sure was the best in the field. Uh, yeah. and I think you could say the same about Daniel and about Phil. Uh, and you could probably say that about Deeb now. They're just like a handful of, of standouts that, sure, they're survivors and they're on the right side of variance, but they also just like do something niche that we can't really model and we can't really fully grasp that allows them to just be there consistently year over year, event over event. 
Yeah, I think um, a good metric to kind of view where people see everyone as a whole is kind of looking at the 25K fantasy draft, right? And seeing how much people that are in the space, especially in the mixed game realm, give points and attributes mm -hmm. to people that they deem to be worth the amount of points being allocated to them for then having them on the team where other people can't yeah. have them themselves. Yeah, and Phil always goes for, always... for big numbers. Yeah, that's fair. Big that's five, fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know uh, almost nothing about all these mixed games. So if he's, I mean, he's supposedly really good at that, man. I imagine he probably is. It's like uh, the the beauty is no one knows anything about these mixed games. <laughs> yeah. I, think. Uh, I think it's just Dan Zach. Dan like Zach knows a thing or two. I like that guy. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now that we gave him his flowers, let's get into the real discussion. <laughs> because I got to tell you, man. This guy, the, the worst decision he's made in his 35-year illustrious career was saying that he would sit deep stacking cash games. Yep. He fucking stinks, man. <laughs> he stinks. Like, do not give this man 1,500 big blinds. He's confused. It, it goes against his entire strategy of tournament poker and how to navigate. And we were kind of talking about this off-air. The thing is, is that when you sit shallow, the the degree to which you can make a mistake is restricted by the number of big blinds you have in front of you. If you only have 40 big blinds in front of you, well, you can't really make a mistake for more than like, I don't know, call it 15, 20 big blinds, something mm -hmm. like, which don't get me wrong is, is massive. But like when you have 1500 big blinds in front of you, you can make ridiculously huge mistakes. Yeah. You can make the fifty thousand dollar mistake that. on the river. He he, you could yeah, you could really tell that he was he was just out of his element, right? I mean, the obviously the 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 big hand, the blow up hand, but like, you know, it, when you're sitting there and there's seven hundred big blinds in the middle, which is like a bigger pot than you know maybe he's ever played big blind wise. I don't know, but but then you have seven hundred or a thousand big blinds back. It it really. Right. Uh, it, yeah, it really complicates the issue. Yeah, I think that he was very much exposed over the last two days. I think his ace-king fold uh, on Hustler was indicative of how risk-averse he is and mm. recognizing that like, with characters like uh, JR, who plays very solid, that was the three-better, and then Keating, who plays like literally any two, uh, it's just too scary to take a hand like ace-king that only makes strong top pairs and not sets or straights or flushes and go to the flop 1500 big blinds effective. Yeah. So he just dumped, yeah. you know, he just didn't want to fight for the pot and he got out of there and he was afraid of making top pair because what if it runs into a set, he's not ready to play a 600 K pot yeah. uh, with an inferior hand, you know? So I understand like internally where it's coming from, but this is where he's supposed to be humbled. This is, this is the moment we've all been waiting for where uh, he actually starts to listen to the Phil Stinks chant. Because, again, it's not that he's a bad poker player. It's that there are certain disciplines that he is not wired for. And deep stake cash, or sorry, uh, deep stack cash is one of them, right? It's like what I was saying the other day. Like, I would never run around, even if I think I'm like a top pro, which it depends on the day, to be quite fair. Uh, not even yesterday. If felt, <laughs> even if I felt like I was world-class, I would never run around going like, I'm the fucking best PLO player you've ever seen. I've played less than a thousand hands in my life. Like, what are we even talking? And it's like, I'm up so much money in PLO because I got lucky to win a heads up match versus Aussie Matt for like 
I can <laughs> never lose it back. I'll never play stakes high enough at PLO to ever lose that back. Yep. But like, I'm not going to point to the scoreboard and just say like, I'm the greatest fucking PLO player of all time. I'm a board. <laughs> Same thing with short deck. I played like five sessions in my life and I'm up like a million. Mm -hmm. But like, thank you, thank you, Ben Lamb, for the pool in the backyard. <laughs> shout out to my man Bemba. He knows what's going on. Appreciate you, big dog. He's playing golf today with Tiger Woods. You know, Tiger that? Woods. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah. All it cost uh, him was a pool in the backyard. <laughs> I think we actually have a clip of the hand as it went down. Bob, if you want to, you want to fire that which, up. We'll get to see how. Which it all hand are we talking about here? We're talking about unraveled. the Kings versus Ace King hand. You guys are I, the, me. the link. I said you guys are killing me. You can do my Joey Ingram one, or you can do the link that he sent, sent you. The, one. I sent you the link. All right, I got you. <clears throat> Just got sucked out on. Oh and he calls. Oh, my wow. God. He pays it off. The mad genius with the perfect river sizing gets a 50 ball out of Helmuth on the Diamond River. This guy is incredible. And Helmuth's done. He's done. If I can't trap the crazy guy with ace king versus aces, He's why, do you say, why do you say aces? He showed us his hand. Comes back and loses a massive pot to the mad genius. And I was so mad when I saw that plot. You sure, Phil? The only way to get out of a hole is to keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> and Robbie with the perfect needle. Helmuth is gone. Man's got a decent point. I mean, no. Right? You got to find oil or water. Keep digging. <laughs> Robbie, just keep going. Helmuth keeps coming back to the table. I think he might have forgot his phone charger or something. But. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to need to turn the AC on because it is real. The commentary was very good. I was about to yeah. say, Will Jaffe. Crushed it. We fucking love you. Yes. For Phil. Can't believe he's leaving. Poor Phil. <laughs> this might be a record for him. Second worst loss I've had in 15 years. Wow. You heard it first. I'd say both Matt and Robbie's like needles to fill were just elite. They that were was they were just yeah. spot on, just so good. Man, the best part about that stuff, like especially I was telling uh you and Brian pre-show that you might be one of the best losers on camera. Like you can lose and still act that way. <laughs> And win and still act that way too. You should see me off camera. <laughs> I know you're being tame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think I had a seat for a decade? I'm the JRB will be the first one to tell you I'm the most entertaining loser that you'll come across. <laughs> because like you have to be, man. That's that's your job. Yeah, Keating might have a shout for the most entertaining loser. That's ever. true too. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> he's got he he's, he's got, got S tier up on lock for sure. Yeah, he does it with swag. Honestly, the perfection of when Eric Hicks was going through the analysis of if that was versus anybody else on the river, I would jam. But versus Phil, I go 50. <laughs> that was a absolutely perfect line uh, and mastery from young Eric Hicks. Thank you for that. That made me, that made me, it made me my heart so warm. <laughs> my heart so warm. I was like, wow, this is how poker works in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. You just... Eric played the man. <laughs> Eric played the man. I mean, 
I mean, honestly, though, like, <laughs> could could you even manufacture something like this? Like, could you imagine scripting something? How how perfect, right? Like, what a perfect scenario. Phil traps himself into an oblivion <laughs> to Eric Hicks, the only guy at the table who covers him, who's a fucking wild man in his own right, and <laughs> finds a way to put in another 250 big blinds on the river when the fourth diamond hits and he has two kings, no diamond claims he has aces, even though he showed us his hands <laughs> and then the victory lap Eric Hicks took guys. You have no idea. Like I'm sure you caught bits and pieces of it. Like as a viewer at home, this was nonstop for like the next four hours. He's talking about how it's a bucket list item, how he might just quit poker now. He's done the impossible. He's kicked Helmuth out of the game. Like, you can't bring these pros into our house. This is my house type of shit. That's I mean, amazing. It's such good TV. And I will I will definitely pat Phil on the back for this. Like though uh though I think that he handles these things very poorly, of course. He's a good sport about taking the needles. Uh, and that's the big, that's the bigger conversation here, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, we talk about Phil because Phil talks about Phil. Like if he wants to amplify himself to this degree, well then we're going to zoom in and we're just going to pick it apart because it's fucking funny and the memes are just endless. Right. Uh, but he does, he handles it pretty well. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, like it's must see TV, man. Like everybody showed up to, to watch Robbie yesterday. Was she even there? You know, it's like she barely played a hand. She wasn't even all that talkative. She got a couple of good zingers in there. She got she got some good zingers in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the dig yeah. A the the only way to get yourself out of a hole is to dig yourself deeper. Was actually a very digging. good one liner. <laughs> you, you're gonna either gonna get oil or water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's good. Oh dude. man, but there are definitely some uh, inconsistencies between Hustler Stream Robbie and Live at the Bike Robbie from that sample size. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, that was the first I played with her. By the way, uh, also, I, 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 you know, she's she's very much a delightful person. Like, I get it. She's very, uh, very like charming. Very works the room very well, right? Like, she just does a great job of of being personable. Uh, everybody was like, "Oh, it's gonna be so awkward when you sit there." I, I was very positive it wouldn't, and she definitely never said anything like out of line to me. I, I was kind of disappointed to be honest. Like I thought we were going to have a sparring match. I, I was fucking ready, man. I, I came with material, you know, I, 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 I had a whole, a whole rap sheet between her and Phil. I'm just like, all right, let's go. Like I can win the, the, the war of wits when it comes to sparring verbally. Um, but she, yeah, she wasn't just like, wasn't really into it. Having watched like all that film that we watched on her. I don't know what the hell, is different between old Robbie and Robbie. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, uh, a monetary thing or she's like gotten coached or, but like the only way to describe the way she played was like random and passive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I told you guys off air. Like there was a point where we played a five bet pot where she had ace King and I had Kings and we reached the flop of like three SPR and I bet 20% on Jack, Jack 10, nine. Um, and she was check folded. And it's like, that's that hand just purely continues. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about in theory. Like I'm talking about, you know, old man coffee isn't folding ace king on that board. You're right. literally just like drawing to the nuts and you're getting the right price. Uh, so it's, it's just like, I can't wrap my head around it, man. I'm not insinuating she cheated. I, I truly have no fucking clue. Um, but I'll state it for the umpteenth time that Jack forehand blows my mind. It is the most out of line thing I've ever seen in my entire life. None of it makes any goddamn sense. Like just nothing makes any sense to me whatsoever. The only thing that I know to be true for absolute fact is that the setup at hustler was very vulnerable and at a bare minimum, it's less vulnerable now. Uh, so whatever, whatever happened, I have no fucking clue, but moving yeah. forward, <clears throat> it seems like we're going to get a better version of stream poker. Yeah. For good. what it's worth, good. Yeah. I kind of put out uh, the tweet yesterday. I got some traction of the, I didn't, I've yet to see live at the bike, Robbie bluff river once I, can't remember seeing one and yeah. not in the sense she of checked che- high versus me after yeah checkers. it was she checked down 10 high after check raising and barreling right yeah. you guys had both had a flush draw. yeah you had a six of clubs where's the club for the scam that would have been some good tv too and financially i would be very happy well. to see that what are you doing if she jams river burke <laughs> i fold I, I i would have folded if she bet 20 percent five yeah. right i mean like i don't beat anything Actually, you know what? This this leads me to a good question. Well, first, let's go back to the Eric uh, Phil hand real quick. I think that when it comes to the river call from Phil's side, uh, you, we were yeah. talking about a little bit pre-stream. I think that call was pure entitlement. Like, Bro, he wanted out of there. He wanted out of there. That was going to be his final hand come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. He was... He was getting smoked out, man. He did not know what he signed up for when he was buying into that game 300,000 effective. I think he thought like, okay, I'm going to buy in super deep, but I'm going to set the lineups. They're going to be safe lineups where, you know, not too much damage could occur. Fucking Phil sits, or uh, Eric sits down with 300K and covers him. We got Yang, who claims that he's a fucking race car driver, but this guy's <laughs> playing like a goddamn GTO bot for nine hours. Uh, you got Ozzy Al, who's like insanely competent, sitting 150K effective. I come in 100K deep. Like, we were there for blood. And he <laughs> had to realize very fucking quickly, like, a thousand big blind pop was going to occur. It was yeah. just going to happen. And, we saw- and if he was in the mix, he better have the nuts. <laughs> it, we were talking about it like pre show when. Stakes were 100, 200, and there'd be opens to 1,200, 1,400, 1,000, three bets to 7,000, where this isn't a 100, 200 game no. where 20, 20K is 100 big blinds. Right. You're now playing where 100K can just go in like fucking butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was playing yeah, like... This, yeah. this is every live game I've ever played, and that's why, like, you know, we talk about this all the time. I'm like, you know how many thousand big blind pots I played with one pair? And it's like, this, this is how it happens. When the average open is 5x and, you know, people cold call four bets with kings instead of putting in the five bet and shit like that, like, you just, you see flops and people get married to their hands because they don't understand the equity threshold change. 35 big and, blind three bets. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. They also get, like, way too splashy yeah. uh, for, like, normal actions. Like, you know, when it goes raise, three bet, call, that's supposed to be two ranges of hands. 
Mm-hmm. But when the open is 5X and the three bet is to 30X and then the call comes through, like that should be a very different set of hands, especially whenever you're 500 big blinds effective, right? Like you should be very, very, very tight. You're out of position playing a massively inflated pot. Um, but we're just not. And that's what's beautiful about live poker. Yeah. And I guess when it comes to that, there was a hand you played against... Yang, when you had King of Hearts 10, uh, and he had ja- the Jack Duck Offley, and he no, went no, no. for the river bet for 25k, and I was talking with no. Brian in the car, and wait, I wait, wait, saw wait. the look on your face that you wanted to jam river so badly. So, the, the, uh, the graphics were wrong. He had Jack 10. He had two pair? Yeah. That makes wait. way, yeah, that makes way wait, more sense. I, the whole hand is is so fucked. He had Jack 10. Yeah, you guys think that he had Jack Deuce off under the gun, raised, and then called a check raise on 10 9 6? That's what, I w- <laughs> That's what the graphics say. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is what's happening here. Why is he floating no. you in the flop? And, yeah. He's a race car no. driver. He likes to go fast. Why mm-hmm. is this such a. Yeah, I think I thought my hand was indifferent between calling and jamming. I didn't think it ever really folded, to be honest. King of Hearts bad. Um, it's not bad, though. It, it blocks his. So here's what I knew in the moment. By the time I had played that hand, I was positive that Yang was a pro. So I was also positive that he shows up with bluffs in this line and that his sizing sequence was actually pretty good. So I check race flop for pot. He calls on 10, nine, six, uh, heart diamond spade. And the turn is the, uh, Jack of clubs, I think completing the Badoogie. Oh no, no, sorry. The Jack of hearts bringing the backdoor hearts in. Uh, so now it's Jack 10 of hearts out. Um, I decided to check. He bets three quarters. I call and that sizing is like really good. It's all inclusive. It's going to have two pairs sets straights and plenty of bluffs. He'll have like ace queen type of hands. Um, queen nine perhaps. So I call river is uh, a brick and I check and he over bets. He bets like 25 into 20. Um, and my first inclination was to fold because I'm like, people don't bluff this spot. It's way under bluff. But then it just clicked to me. I'm like, no, this guy is for sure. Like a Macau pro 100%. He definitely has bluffs here. I've seen him play a couple hands versus Ozzy, Ozzy Al where like he made good calls. And also I'm pretty confident. He was like bluffing a few spots. So I was like, no, he definitely has the right combos here. And the King of hearts, I think is actually pretty good because it reduces the amount of King queen floats. My check raise was big enough that I don't think he peels all King Queen. Well, it's Jack so 10x rainbow, he, right? It was 10, nine, six rainbow, uh, but heart spade club. Yeah. So I don't think he has King Queen of diamonds. Um, yeah, fair. And now I reduce him from having King Queen of hearts, Yeah. which I think is very important, which what is what led, led me to call instead of jam. Uh, I think if I have King Queen or sorry, King Ten of uh, King Ten with the King of Diamonds, perhaps maybe I just jam a little bit more. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Maybe I still just show because he doesn't have King Queen. I wonder how much of a difference there is uh, when it comes to the practical live environment when people show up with King High flush draws and barrel them too much because they have King High and finding bluffs from other spots might be different. But if you have the well, read what that King, what King High though. King eight, right? That's it. King seven. That's, that's, I mean, King eight, King seven, and he has to be opening them under the gun. 
That's, that's good that's kind of it. Well, yeah, and I'm. I was coming from the sense of if you want to have a hand like King of Diamonds, like the non backdoor suit, it's more likely that he has those combos of bluffing when he's in a polarized spot where finding bluffs is hard as is. So blocking a couple combos can actually make a difference. But at the same time, I don't fucking know shit about X hundred big line pots, and I'm just speculating. I think you're right. I think you're right when it comes to calling. I think I should probably want to call with the King of Diamonds and jam with the King of Hearts. You and what are your thoughts? I don't fully follow the hand history. So <laughs> how bad could it be? <laughs> See, you're not the same. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Anyways, I, mean, yeah, we, I just we, remember looking at that hand. I'm like, I saw, I, I saw the wheels turning, like very much so, where you kind of, you kind of took a little bit of time, uh, eyeing him up a little bit, I suppose, and uh, wanting to go for a jam, but then. Well, Jack 10 makes I a also, lot more sense than Jack Duck. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I also didn't, I didn't, so I thought he was a pro, but I didn't know how good he was. I knew Jack 10 would bet, but I wasn't sure that he would allocate it to an overbet. Right. So like in my head, I'm kind of hedging a bit and taking some hands out of like, well, he never has a single, single Jack. That's for sure. Uh, and I don't know if Jack 10 or 10, nine, ever go for it like this. Um, I mean, I know that they do in theory, but I don't know if he's necessarily falling through. But like, yeah. ace-queen is just a very natural bluff here. And he's just going to have that in full. Yeah, probably float, like folding flops sometimes too. Like, bad suits. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, that's, that's true. You're right. It's still one of those things that finding bluffs in these spots are hard. And I was talking with Brian in the car coming on the way here. The issue where we thought the jack-deuce was <laughs> the hand, and the issue when it comes to um, using a polarized size with a merged hand, right? Where Jack Deuce, in theory, would never be worth an overbet on the end, but there's still a percentage of the time you get called by the hand like yours, Bro, right? Like a 10X. Eric loves to do this. There was there was a hand versus Ozzy Al where Ozzy Al check raised big on like seven six Deuce, and yeah, Eric he called. had eight. Yeah. And it ran out. So the final run out was seven, six, deuce, six, deuce. And Ozzy Al gave up on the river with five, four and checked. And fucking Eric went for it. How like, does he huge. find the bet there? Huge with eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get caught by Ace High, the Mega Master. Yeah. And Al folds and goes, Did you have an overpair? And Eric just very confidently goes, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Man, I think that when that's the case and. <laughs> The issue when it comes to finding the hands that are too weak to put into the polarized size and merging them, the a good way to combat that is by turning your bluff catchers into bluffs. I agree. Yeah. Right. I but agree. now it's you're risking just, a lot of money. It's expensive. Yeah, it's fucking expensive. Mm-hmm. Trust me, as a man who rocketed off a hundred k in honor of Robbie J, <laughs> uh, it's not cheap, man. No. I lost my mind in that hand. I'm so dumb. Like, looking back at it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> to you. Papo, you're the best. Uh, I complete. I'm so dumb. Like, I could have just peeled pre and just, like, you know, lost small, probably check raise flop and whatever. But the, so that we were playing the Jack 4 bounty, obviously. I didn't, like, lose my mind completely. But the bounty was relatively small. It was uh, 501K. So I stood to make like $5,000 if I get this through. I made it 7K pre. 
<laughs> what are we doing? What are we like, doing? What the fuck are we doing, man? Just, just that fucking is, don't, don't do this. That is not tortoise approved. So uh, honestly, though, approved I really, I really thought he was gonna fold here. I like this dog jam. Yeah, I mean, I had intended to donk jam if I improved, and I considered the ace an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have gone for the river jack. I also just thought, like, he was really weak. Like, I thought he had a hand like sixes, seven, six, maybe eight, nine, which I know I beat eight, nine, but I can never call, and he's obviously yeah. going to bluff. Right. Um, so I just thought that there was, like, this big chunk of the middle of his range that this was going to work. Motherfucker trapped me with kings. This guy's never not four bet kings in his life. <laughs> It Switching was up his game, man. It was really the Eric Hicks show. That motherfucker you know went he hard in the paint. Fucking party, man. He went hard he in the paint. He's such a fun guy, and like he stacks me, and then he's like, "Hey, next time you're in town, if you need a car or a place to stay, like, you know, just hit me up. I'll take care of you." Like, Can he give you a car for Vegas? So you need Jeez. a car again. I he you I lost him, the I car like, to him. Uh, he has this. He bought this '71 Stingray, and he doesn't like it. So okay, like, does that mean we like it? it? <laughs> no, 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 God, no, bro. I mean, yes, like, it's a classic car. They're incredible. <laughs> and, like, my nephew would love it as a project. But, like, wow. they don't have power steering. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have, like, modern radio. It, it, would, it would take uh, a lot of upgrades to make it uh, a daily driver. Um, yeah, but, but it's, le like, yeah, it's leather kind of jacket culture, baby. That's true. That is true. Uh, mm. they're, they're really fun cars, though, if you've ever had a chance. My uh, uncle had one or not my uncle, my, my cousin, uh, when I was a kid and they fucking rip. Uh, so he's like, yeah, next time you're in town, you can just take it out. Honestly, like I do kind of want to take him up on it. Cause I haven't driven a stick in maybe two years and you'll never know this joy Landon, because you're in the Tesla era where yeah. the car is just going to do all the driving for you. I have my permit test is, tomorrow. There is no better feeling than having 800 horsepower and the ability to manually shift. Like it's just fucking nice. Are you saying that you got the horses in the back? Yeah, actually, yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Man, there were some hands on that on that on that fucking live stream that just had my head spinning. Uh, one of them was uh, the the woman of the hour, Robbie, with the cold call three bet, call four bet with queens. Flop comes six four deuce rainbow. Check B twenty five all in pot and a half. Queen six four. Not queen six four. Queen six four. Queen rainbow. four deuce. Yeah, no, queen six four rainbow. Set. Yeah, she, this one, queen, six, four, rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. This hand, uh, I was telling, we were telling, we were telling you, and ace, four of hearts, you're seeing this is so tilting. It's so tilting. Call small check rate, sure. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Getting jammed this on. When I knew. This is also when I knew Yang was a pro. These motherfuckers are showing up in a four bet pot with ace, four students. Like, don't, mm -hmm. you're not fooling me, bro. You ain't yeah. no race car driver. If you are, it's only part time. <laughs> You're out there in the streets grinding these fucking solvers. Yeah. Ace four is a good hand, man. Every I love time, a good ace four. Bro, every time I show up to live at the bike and they're like, Oh yeah, we got this uh this guy in from Macau. He's he's a huge whale businessman. Every fucking time they're the best player in the game. <laughs> gotcha. One hundred percent of the time. Uh, the only exception to that is Frank. Frank gives more action than anybody I've ever met. King we Frank. Love Frank. He's the best. Uh, but everybody else, yeah, like they're all Fugazi as fuck. They're all a bunch of uh, uh, Wesleys. <laughs> I was telling that story yesterday how uh, the first time I played with Wesley on Hustler was his second time playing on the stream. And he was claiming it was the second time he had ever played poker. <laughs> and he's just playing like 
he's just playing good, right? <laughs> like he's not giving anything away. He's maybe yeah. a little bit too loose free, but he's just playing good. And like halfway through the stream, he goes, uh, Matt, do you know, you, you know, my friend, Aaron, I go, Aaron, he goes, Aaron Zhang. He told me to tell you hi. And I'm like, okay, I knew you were a fucking pro. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, man, they outed themselves. Yeah. Sometimes they yeah, self-report. They self-report. Yeah. <laughs> you never want to self-report. So it's safe to say uh, Phil is <laughs> not going to be playing today. He's not. He flew uh, back home, which is which is good news because that means that I have a seat. Do you believe that I was on the fence of having a seat or not? How? Like, yeah, they got like. How am I losing a seat? To this fucking professional race car driver who just plays goddamn like an AI robot. I'm out there firing off 100K with Jack 4 high. Who do you hey, want in the game? Hey, uh, Kev, Kev Martin got his, uh, he's got his expenses back paid back from Phil. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe if you hit up Phil, he can, he can pay for your flight back to Vegas since he's not going to be there today. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, Kev Martin's in the, in the game today. I think Maria Ho may be there as well. Um, me, Robbie, uh, I think Eric Hicks is coming back again. Obviously, uh, Oziel is there. I'm not sure who the rest of the lineup is, to be honest, but is it the I same know that we're starting at 2.30. Oh man, that'll be fun. Honestly, this has been the most interested I've been in live stream poker in a while. Like yeah, yesterday same. was genuinely a fun stream to it watch. Was, yeah. It wasn't just like, okay, you show up, it's six-handed, everybody's good at poker, playing 1-2 and opening a 2.5x, getting 3-bet 2-11x, and just like playing an online game live. This was just rocketing it off, mm -hmm. different sort of characters going on, a bunch of things happening at once, Eric out here with the Opus 1 for everybody, and just cold call or Five calling 3-bets with kings. Five! Five bottles. Wow. That's so much Opus 1. Phil really does Bro. make the game interesting and entertaining, though, because yeah. he's such uh, he's such a baby about everything. It just <laughs> is very entertaining. I mean, how, he's great. How, right. how would you know? He was there for two and a half hours. We played for 14. <laughs> oh. Oh, um, yeah, I, I agree. I, what I do notice, though, is that I don't win in fun games. I win in tough games, but not fun games. Yeah, you've done very well in tough games. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I think I let my guard down too much and have too many of the Jack 4 moments. Maybe. Like, I was just on autopilot that hand. It was just like, oh, I have a bounty hand, and it's a clear 3-bet. Now, like, we go. I don't know, man. Variance is weird. Like, there's a universe where he folds kings, and then you look, like, great, right? We oh have God. that, too. That is Honestly, just a very real sober, part. I think there's a better chance he folds if he's stone sober than two bottles of Opus in. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta play the man. Sure. Like it 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 was so fucking wonderful hearing versus anybody else I call in versus Phil I'm at fifty thousand. <laughs> I know he's calling me. He's not calling all in, but he's calling fifty K. <laughs> I, I wish I wish you guys could have saw his victory lap, man. He's just like <laughs> strutting through the bike, chest out, like Tom, how's it been? I oh seen my god, well. amazing. Right. Yeah. What? He he was he was a he's a fanboy of, of Helmuth, right? Uh, I I guess yeah. I mean, like for him, this was for sure a bucket list thing. Like, right? You yeah. know, him and JD were kind of saying they're they play for the thrill, you know, like mm -hmm. they don't need the money, right? So course. getting to cause a Helmuth blow up is just worth a lot to them. Yeah, yeah. and he has a, he has a story for the rest of his life. It. It's all about the story. 
Right. That's yeah. a real thing, man. Like just enjoying and having the experience that cannot be replicated in a different environment. Mm-hmm. Like that, like what happened yesterday cannot happen again in that, in, in that form. Right. Right. But having yeah. that experience, being in the spot, being able to just play that hand in the first place mm-hmm. and like living in the uh, iteration of the universe where this happened and we get to sit and watch it <laughs> and then see it like run around the table, giving high fives to everybody. Everybody feels like they won. It's yeah. like the big bad wolf is gone. Right. <laughs> Left the green chip on the table. They said, Hey, you want this green chip on the way out? Like it doesn't end. Yeah. I think Berkey's just, just so uh, happy that, that, Bill was exposed because he's been saying this for so long, right? You haven't you Burke? Like you've been saying like, listen, just play deep stack and you'll find out. And he, he fuck around and found out real bad the last couple of days. Oh my God. This is, yeah, this I, is I mean, unreal. He leans on this whole, uh, I won 30 out of 32 sessions, but it's like, okay, but you're playing 40 big blinds effective and you're winning less than a buy. Of course. So yeah. it's like, I, I asked him, I go, what if I told you that if we both played 32 sessions, and you won 30 of 32 and I won 12 of 32 that I think that my profit would be larger than yours. Right. And he goes, have you won 12? I'm like, <laughs> fucking oh, base. Uh, like, look, just because, uh, I actually swing in this game and don't mm-hmm. try to chisel out a quarter of a buy-in every time I sit down. Doesn't mean like, don't forget that we're popping off for big ones too. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. why people love playing with you, man. Like when you're in the game, there is a just there is just a chance that all of the money goes in one way or the other. And that's yeah. part of the thrill yeah. and excitement of when people play poker for the experience as is versus just going there to show up and do their job. Big, big bet yeah, Berkey. Uh, Hicks sits deep because he wants to play a big fucking pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people sit that deep and don't want to play a big fucking pot. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's facts. <laughs> that is fact. What do you guys think of the the whole Robbie dynamic? Uh, as far as just now, post call it scandal, uh, where she's kind of become a bit of a media darling. She's getting these opportunities to play. Uh, I mean, she yeah. wasn't scared money, as far as I could tell. But like, <laughs> I don't know how endless the funds are either. So yeah. I know what it's like to be on fixed liquidity out here. Like whether you have the money or not, in theory. It doesn't matter if you don't have it in practice. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, I would like to, it, it, good. Yeah. I was gonna say, I would like, I would like to see Robbie get good. I would like to like real good. Like if you know how great it would be, she's just like in the lab studying and then she just becomes a killer in the game. What a story that would be. Oh my God. Like <laughs> my, my take on this entire thing, even after the hustler uh, situation is that no matter what happens now until this point, I'm not the judge, jury, executioner, right? But what did happen is this story is infamous and in her spot with fame, fame can always be leveraged, Mm -hmm. right? So now having the spot that she's in, being able to play on live streams, being able to do different things, that is just a byproduct of what happened. Who knows what actually happened? I don't have all of those information, all that information. You can only speculate, right? But there was definitely a difference in play style from yesterday and the hustler stream where someone that did not bluff a single river is finding min raises on the turn with jack high and then calling off and the and like the antics were way different yesterday than on the hustle stream so who knows what's going on but there is definitely a difference and acknowledging that it exists is important in my opinion yeah david a uh, guy from montana who's just at the last academy said give her an academy seat burke get her get her in the mix let's get her in the let's get her in the lab i mean uh, all jokes aside, because like, uh, you know, it's hard because like, 
I, I have no ill will towards her. I, 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 I mean, she's pleasant. I, I truly enjoyed interacting with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what would she be like on poker out loud? Right. Like, uh, I mean, I imagine it would be similar to the, to the, uh, to the postmortem of the Jack forehand, where it's just like, if you actually had to have her speak out her thoughts in real time, the story would just change street by street, which actually <laughs> might be a little bit fascinating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like on the flop, it's like, okay, well I have this. I think that he has this, uh, my hand is incentivized to do X, Y, or Z <laughs> on this type of board texture. Yada, yada, do it. Right. And then the board texture changes. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now I think he has like all of these other bad hands that I can suddenly beat. So I'm just yeah. going to blast. You know, we, we kind of see this in the, um, in the early process of learning, whenever right. you're relatively new to the game, mm-hmm. you you portray the story as you want to see it end in your head. And, you know, perhaps that's a bit of what's going on. But I do agree with Landon that the thing that stood out the most to me was the passivity. Uh, yeah. Every time that many, many bets went in, it was just a premium. Um, uh, same thing with, like, jamming. Like, there were no draw- draws that were jammed. She did ultimately bust off stream for a small amount where she checked jammed uh, a gut shot but even though it was like too big of a jam it, it was like you know a small amount of money it was like fifteen thousand uh in a three bet pot where there was like you know 5k in the middle and she just checked rip on 10 deuce three uh I mean, it, ran it does look 10. like she got some coaching or something because she played like just much kind of tighter pre-flop yeah and like just like yeah. folding queen 10 and the hijack and stuff like that just like really tight really yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen the stream, so I don't know like what the the preflop stuff looked like. Yeah, I just, I mean, it was just tight, and then looks I mean, like when she, she was cold calling it. three bets though with queens and stuff, it yeah. was kind of like, I, I kind of yeah. hard to guess what's going on. Yeah, we'll just, have to see. We'll have to see more. Is she is she uh, playing today? Yeah, the next two days. Yeah, next two days. So I mean, we'll see how we'll see how it plays out. The more she plays. Man, this is exciting. Honestly, I like that this podcast is kind of turning into a live at the bike post stream review. <laughs> it is. I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I how mean, there was a lot think, to talk about. So, how do you guys think this is going to affect um, Garrett? Is this going to make it easier or harder for him to come back? I, I would assume it makes it easier now that things feel like they've blown over. I don't know. Weird spot. Yeah. Um, he did I mean, say I, that if Hustler had that one million dollar buy in game, he wants in. He wants in. Uh, but. Yeah, but there's no way he'll get in. Like that's a Keating run game. He was already getting. Uh, gate kept from those games to begin with. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think that even him coming back is a big enough story to convince Keating that he should be allowed in that lineup. I, I could be wrong. Uh, Time will like, tell. I'd love to play too. You know, <laughs> but, um, throwing your hat in the ring doesn't really yield you a seat very often. Uh, I, as somebody who was like in the environment yesterday, where I expected it to be palpable, I expected there to be animosity. Robbie in person is not the same as Robbie on interviews. Like I grilled her about the Vertucci podcast that she did. And she was like, yeah, he kind of coerced me into saying this, that, or the other. And he was like, you know, hold on. Like, uh, she was mentioning that like, um, he has this, he has this like picture of, uh, of like the, the penal code for recording, uh, a call or whatever and was going to like put it on his set with my face. And she's like, I asked him about it. And, uh, he just like went into a tirade about, about you and asked my thoughts. And as I was getting into it, he's like, wait, 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 we'll talk about it on air. And if you watch the actual interview, like 
it's such a fucking like he just keeps begging the question where he's like so was there any like you know podcasts or influencers or anything along those lines that uh really stuck out to you and she just like started to duck it a little bit like well yeah he goes let me rephrase it and basically just like spoon fed what do you think about berkey and then afterwards Uh, yeah Right then, afterwards, he's just like, he's like, I, I, we didn't talk about this prior, right? I didn't say anything like that, right? right. Yeah, right. it's his right. right. He did, the, he did the same thing with Mickey. Yeah. He did the same yeah. thing with exactly. Uh, he's like, it's, hey, it's, I didn't tell you to say this. This is just coming from them. I didn't spoon yeah. feed it to them at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't, know, I don't really know what to think. Like, I don't know what's genuine and what's not. Maybe she really does think the things that she said on the Vertucci pod. Maybe uh, she was coerced there. And if she was coerced there, maybe that's been the case for a lot of interviews. I, I don't know, man, because the story flip-flops so much. Every, everything is so inconsistent. But the whole point that I'm getting at is that wasn't what she was like in person at all. And that wasn't – there was no dampening to the uh, to the game or anything along those lines, right? Like, it was a very pleasant environment, as you guys kind of alluded to. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it was, like, very easy to be there, even though we spent – many, many weeks just dissecting and combing through <laughs> all of these, uh, situations. And, and, you know, from our side as, as, as the podcast, like I would like to think that the majority of the effort and energy that we put in was on, uh, the security measures for streams as a whole, right? Like sure. Robbie and Garrett were discussed, but it was hardly the the thing that we talked about the most. I think we just were looking for solutions moving forward. Um, whenever it came to stream security and things of that nature. Uh, but with regards to Garrett coming back, I think part of what may feel like a hesitation for everybody is, will he be well-received? Will he be liked? Um, will he be comfortable in that environment? At first I would have been like, man, I don't know. Like for as well as he's done and as wealthy as he probably is, uh, I think I would just, you know, maybe bag it. <laughs> like you're about to start a family. You're in your, you're in your early to mid thirties. Like you're one of the smartest people in this industry for sure. There's a lot of things that you're going to be very great at. Maybe it's time to just turn the page. But after yesterday, like he's going to be just as big of a draw. It's a sideshow, you know, it's a fucking circus. Everybody wants a piece. Everybody yep. wants the interview. Everybody wants the, the, the Garrett week, the Robbie week, the Helmies week. Like we're, we're here for it, man. We want to see fucking clowns juggling all day long. It's true. Like <clears throat> as even though it is high stakes poker and we can view poker as an, an art, a skill, a science, whatever. At the end of the day, the reason why it's fun is because it's entertaining. And that's what brings yeah. people back. Yep. Yeah. Guap, I sent you a clip uh, just to kind of, uh, demonstrate what we were talking about, so it doesn't sound like I'm just bashing for the sake of bashing. It's uh, it's it's. You gotta a, have like, evidence. Well, it's just it was sent to me, and it's just like you know we never did anything with it because it didn't make a lot of sense. But since we brought it up, I think it's a good time to play. It was so toxic that it was. I mean, just anything, and don't, and I'm not prodding you. If you want to say no, I'm good. We're good. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think I I experienced. Who? How about this? Let's just get it right here. Who? If you had to say, have we ever discussed this? No, right? Uh-uh. Okay. No. No. Who would, if you had to say an order of one through three, where the biggest 
I don't want to say dicks, but the most unfair and whatever, like the most annoying. <laughs> That's bait. There was a particular incident where I'm just like super heated sitting in my hotel room uh, in, in Vegas and um, had a couple glasses of wine and I said like, fuck you, Berkey. And then he used me as like clickbait or something in yeah. his in, in his podcast, like <clears throat> with like my middle finger up. With fuck off, Berkey. You go fuck yourself. Which is fine. I guess like that's kind of a creative way to like needle yourself when you've just been like told to F you, Berkey. And I can't even remember what made me say that, except that I started recognizing that his podcast was really negative. So for somebody to say that it was for the purpose of making the poker community better when it really was appearing to be like uh, for the purposes of getting more clicks is what really didn't rub me the right way. Well, because, Robbie, let me ask you this. Yeah. Did you come in here knowing anything about me and any of these people you mentioned? Like a no. negative. Okay. No. We've never discussed it. It's funny because literally this person you mentioned that number one, Matt Berkey, will probably think that these are setups because I will tell you probably the last six out of 10 people that I've mm -hmm. asked about toxic or this or beefs, he's at everyone's top of their list. Emotional damage. So... I only say that because I never say shit to anybody and it may look this way because on my podcast that's all people say mm -hmm. and you know for me <clears throat> I had a thing with Doug because of how Doug is and some of the things but mm -hmm. it's weird because I reached out to Doug we got on the phone we worked it out um, me and Joey would always were good and then this happened and everyone was under a lot of pressure mm -hmm. I went on to his show and was exhausted and was pissed off about something and I snapped he snapped at me right. like it kind of whatever but then mm -hmm. you know what we got on the phone we made it good because mm -hmm. at the end of the day he's a good person even yeah. Doug said what yes. someone said about you is like man you're much more likable in person than you are online mm -hmm. that's what he said to me and and we're good now um, but this guy that mm -hmm. you're mentioning is at the top of everybody's list of this. Um, I even, and he was actually probably more in the wrong about his sneakiness and self-servingness of trying to make the poker community better, but it's just mm -hmm. a pompous approach. And I even, after all of it, reached out to him on text and said, dude, let's just talk and like, we don't have to be buddies, but whatever, and just crickets. Um, your read is right, and I, I just wanna go on record that I never prompt any of my guests to ever say anything about anyone, but it's becoming such a thing yeah. that when someone comes on and we talk about the toxic, he's their number one person. So at some <laughs> point, I think you gotta look in the mirror that's all I'm gonna say. I'm not even gonna get into what our shit is because I don't even care. Uh, liar! Liar! Um, but it's a shame. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's a shame. It's a, shame. <laughs> it's a goddamn shame. So it's a crying shame. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, whatever. Just to put a bow on that, uh, I think that it's it's unfortunate that. Uh, everybody involved is kind of being paraded around in a certain way, like in this dog and pony show where it's not always serving them to their best interest. So it's like, uh, actually, maybe that's not even true. Uh, I, I actually thought Robbie came across pretty well in that interview and, uh, she was able to turn maybe some of the ire to those, uh, who were accusatory throughout. And, you know, she's really, really, really hammered the, uh, the Garrett thing of her wanting her money back. And that's, that's probably the biggest sticking point to Garrett coming back. Right. Is like, uh, does any retribution have to take place there? I'm of the opinion that like she gifted him money and I don't know. 
under what circumstance you could ever ask for it back. But uh, I can kind of see the other side too, where it's just like, we don't know what happened really when the cameras were off. Yeah. Tough spot with like some of the information being uh, public and then other parts of it not being so. Yeah. So if he comes back, where do you think he plays first? It's got to be Hustler, right? Honestly, my, my, my take would be whichever game is bigger or whichever game he thinks will play bigger. That's where I'm at. I could see a world where it's... Um, the problem is, is if it's poker road, like that's not consistent, mm-hmm. right? So like him coming back for a one-off is kind of whatever. Uh, like a high-stakes poker or no game with no future. Yeah. But I can see a world where... The thing is, like, I don't know how it happens with this looming 130000 over everybody's head. But I was going to say, I can see a world where they build a Robbie Garrett type of thing, the same way that the 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 Helmuth Robbie thing got built this week, right? Where they're just such a massive draw to whatever stream house wants to host it. Um, and obviously, I'm sure Hustler would be clamoring to do that. <laughs> what, what are you What are you eyeballing? You know, I'm like, all right, fine. They can play at Stones Live. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Imagine. God. Imagine that uh, Justin Caritas and Possible just show, like that's, that's the game. It's just yep. Robbie, Possible, Garrett. You know, we get we get fucking Sammy Farhan, a couple old school gamblers in there just to suss out what the fuck's going on. Man, I remember when we had that conversation after pickleball when we we're like, what if they just had a stream where anything goes? Like whoever's in the game, like access, like find ways to get access to whole cards, just, hack the system, hey. say that you know that they have an ace or something, and just start playing poker. It's just the wild west, <laughs> and you just stream it. <laughs> that would be entertaining. Like if they do that, I like Doyle. Yeah, <laughs> Doyle wins. Oh okay. man, legend. I, I, my, man, my man is coming out a winner one way or another. Parking <laughs> lot. <laughs> uh, uh, what are you guys looking forward to today then? I mean, no, it's just the entire event, right? It's just a spectacle. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to no seeing fill. the stream. There's no fill, so I guess that's that. Like, do you think it matters? <sighs> I, yes. Yeah, I think I think it'll yeah. be a little different without him being there. Obviously, like, you know, you're that's not fair. gonna have the fill, homies, blow up. But I mean, it's still gonna be entertaining. I'd like to see, um, you know, I'd like to see you in a couple hundred k pots. That's true. <laughs> right, me too. Please. Uh, yeah, no, that's true, Phil though. The difference fun. with Phil without Phil, it's honestly, I'm kind of curious to see like, how the game dynamic looks, how it shifts, because when he's there, there's kind of like the very clear like uh, antagonist, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So without the inherent antagonist, how will the table dynamics change? We'll, we'll mm-hmm. find out. Everyone that's, else I, always acts well good. when Phil's there, and kind of everyone else plays up to Phil, and that... Mm-hmm. That's what's really entertaining to right. watch, I think. Yeah, he is having people needle Phil and then Phil reacting to that. That's, he's, that's the best. He's the person that people love to hate. And you, I remember pre or like WSOP series time, and we were talking about this when it comes to the antics, this, that, whatever. I get it. I understand. Yeah, I I think that uh, what Phil really brings to the table that is uh, maybe not recognized enough. Uh, Games, especially for good table talk, games need an antagonist, right? They they need an outlet for the needles to fly. And Phil just like plays that role perfectly. 100%. Um, I've noticed that like games that Lynn and I are in together, 
we play off of each other in that way too, where like we, we make each other kind of the antagonist of the game and it allows other people to kind of like insert themselves and use us as targets. Uh, it's hard to do when you don't have someone to banter with, right? Like I expect today to be the exact opposite there. I don't, I don't think any needles are going to get slung because like everybody fucking loves Kmart. Everybody loves, I, I mean, largely everybody in the public eye loves Robbie. Uh, Eric Hicks is a hero, not a villain. You know what I mean? So it's like, now you'll notice that like, I, I banter a lot with Ozzy Al because he's the other pro in the game. And I know that, that like I can shit talk him and he knows it's not personal, right? It's just a means of, of kind of us both wallowing in the misery of losing in a lineup like this and, uh, trying to keep like the needles flying and stuff. It's just not the same. It doesn't hit the same, right? Because neither of us are as big as, uh, a Helmuth is to the game or uh, even a Robbie in this instance. Yeah, it's true. He really is a larger than life character. Kind of just is the case, right? And the only way that can then be uh, shifted is if there is a draw or someone that can play a role similar and yeah. kind of be that person. People care about his rise and fall, right? Yeah. So as long as one or the other happens, everybody's happy. Right. It's, it's the time where he just flatlines and everyone's like, why is Phil buying it for $10,000? Like, this is fucking obnoxious. Yeah, honestly, if Phil got a massive fucking W yesterday and won like 500K, that would be another storyline too. Yeah. Huge, huge. We would be talking about how he's the greatest to ever do it in all realms instead of just <laughs> tournaments. Do you think I mean, we'll I ever would, see but... Phil play deep stacked uh, high stakes no. poker again? No, I, I think I think two yeah. sessions was his limit. I, I think so too. I, I so. think he learned his lesson. It was an expensive lesson, and I don't. I think he's sharp enough not to put himself in that situation yeah. again. I feel bad for the State Kings investors on that one. <laughs> like, yeah. Matt, you know, honestly, that actually really does feel so shitty. If you've like every time Phil put high stakes action on State Kings, and you had a piece, and he won 30 out of 32 sessions, and you kept the same piece, and then you took the same piece for these two games, and, and just have gone from away. like, slight win, slight win, slight win, slight win, oh, down God. astronomical. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Ugh, yeah. right, F in the yesterday, chat, yesterday man. Was like, yesterday was like the day that the S&P 500 crashed for all those holdings. <laughs> yeah. It was like, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just woke up today to the bad news yeah okay. red alert yeah my stock called off with kings on a four four flush <laughs> my stock can't but, believe uh, that he had eight but that uh he had lost with aces when he actually had kings yeah um <laughs> oh, all right, man. i don't want to get out of here just yet i, I don't want to let you in off the hook uh i know i cut off like a little bit of his backstory and stuff and uh for what it's worth like i'm just getting to know you uh i i can't say enough good things about you i i've enjoyed all of our conversations I think that uh, for not having played a ton of live poker and having learned the game through the online sims and whatnot, you have a really uh, zoomed out perspective of of how this space works, I think. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, we were kind of having a conversation of how things are so different in the live world versus online. Maybe talk a little bit about those two perspectives and how you deal with that duality. Yeah, well, firstly, very, very kind of you to say that. Thank you. It's been good to get to know you over the last week or so. Uh, so kind of like the differences between coming from an online background into the, to the live realm. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I, I kind of think it's truly quite similar. I think people like to, to think they're too different. I think just largely the difference is you can't get in volume live. So you need to make sure that your win rates are much higher. Otherwise, you're just going to like never realize your win rate and you're going to go on six wings either way. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like in the tournaments, you gotta got to make sure instead of winning at like a, a 15% ROI, which is like a pretty decent win rate online, like that's, you're going to get torched if you do that live and you're never going to like realize and kind of be able to make stable livings for it. So you have to, you have to like reach the 50% or even 100% ROI. So you have to be so much ahead of the competitions. You got to be like buying in early to the tournaments and like properly grinding it out and making sure that you like a really at like peak performance in the, the deep run spots. And then yeah, Go. It, there's just so many like individual things uh, about kind of how the player pools that are different. So like what I was saying is kind of similar. There's like massive inconsistencies of like people just like never bluffing in some spots and just like never folding in some spots in a live realm where it's kind of online people just play better that's that's kind of what right. i think yeah. it is and you just have again opportunities just to have like massive win rates like you're talking about these games where you're like 1500 big blinds deep where you've got a opportunity for a much bigger win rate there than you do on like a, an online 100 big blind cash game where everybody's playing pretty similar pre-flop so it's just yeah. impossible <laughs> to to have huge win rates but then you can win crazy amounts when you come and like play a, a game like the one at live of the bike or just down in Bellagio or aria or the win yeah and like you understand this i guess uh to to a, a bigger degree than just your own personal anecdotal experience like you run a stable uh that you're trying to kind of meld these two worlds together is that is am i yeah. getting that right like yeah you're basically so... starting people online and when they're yeah so we we kind of the model that we use is like having people play online and like getting much better from online where like even if you're kind of a good winner online at like reasonable stakes it's still hard to like generate really high hourlies playing online but what it allows you to do is as soon as you can beat like mid stakes online you can come into the live arena and kind of almost play any any public stakes available and you're going to be one of if not the best player at any table just because you're so dialed in and you're so accurate from playing online that your win rate is just going to be massive playing live so you're kind of using mm -hmm. online almost as a study tool to come into live and then just like beat up on everybody i like that do you think that there is uh some sort of loss rate or uh, adjustment period where you're taking all of that kind of precision from online yeah. so never a loss rate now. never a loss rate i don't mean there's going to be any time where you're actually losing in a game but there's going to be no, 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 no. Not, not not losing in a game just uh, a reduction of win rate because yeah no, for sure but yes yeah. yes i mean you kind of you become more sharp and you realize that <laughs> the old guy three vets you on the river like your second up flash is no good it's no good <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, how do you how do you kind of deal with that as because i assume you're doing like some coaching with these players as well so like how do you that's a lot of mental game basically 
uh, how, how do you kind of navigate that arena with uh, your horses? Well, I mean, you kind of, you just talk through things. Like you, you look at the hand histories, like analyze where there's mistakes being made, like try and work out kind of like the thought process that is causing mistakes kind of rather than like sticking on to one individual decision. If you can like get crystal clear thought processes, then kind of like you, you solve the problems in the future rather than just like solving this one example of some random board that like you're never going to see again. So it's yeah. And I think focusing always on decision-making rather than like the decisions made is, is like so much more kind of beneficial to, to long-term. And then like kind of what you were saying on the, like the mental game, it can be like the swings you have live in terms of like big blinds can be like considering the win rates that like you think you can have, the swings can be so much bigger than the online swings. I mean, we were talking about this the other day, just because like you said, like how many thousand big blind pots have you won with one pair? Well, <laughs> online yeah. kind of never, that's just yeah. like never ever gonna happen. I mean, A, because you're yeah. you buying a hundred big blinds. So maybe you play some 400 big blind pots like a few times a week. So you never really yeah. play the thousand big blind pots. And then those, <laughs> those 400 big blind pots are gonna be like set over set in a three bet pot or or whatever so it's right there's just but that's again coming back to the reason you can have those thousand big blind pots with one pair is because the opportunity for massive win rate is so much higher when when you're playing live and people's stack off thresholds are so different to what they should be like sometimes they just call when they have kings and it comes a four flush right obviously you should yeah. never do that but <laughs> right win rate opportunities are so much higher because yeah. people make such big mistakes yeah. and like everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes the whole time, I like play awful sometimes, but it's about just trying to limit those mistakes and capitalize on other people's mistakes. Yeah. We, we were talking about this a bit. Um, and the way that I like to view it is we're like the entire pool is always going to consistently make mistakes. And EVs just exchange throughout those mistakes. So it's not really a matter of just capitalizing on what your opposition does. It's also a matter of recognizing that you're sacrificing EV in some spots as well. And that's kind of just okay. Um, you kind of mentioned that the way that you navigate this with your students is to put a big emphasis on the process rather than on the result or on the tactic itself. I really love that. Like when Landon uh, kind of presented you as a, a potential coach for us, it was just like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, he sounds like he's pretty sharp, but uh, is is he going to feel comfortable, like, teaching to a bunch of people who mostly play 2-5 live, 5-10 live, and have very little online experience? Because it's a different world. And from what I've experienced, most of the people who are very sharp at online learn the game backwards. They learn from, uh, you know, just running thousands of spots and, understanding the tactics at a very um a very zoomed in lens or through a very zoomed in lens and then eventually they arrive at the the kind of global strats and the the process that goes into all of these uh decisions that generate ev how how did you kind of flip that process or like what led you down that path and uh you know kind of speak so, a little bit to what your teaching methodologies are sort of like so I, I kind of think the the people that come across from kind of online to live 
where they make the most mistakes is giving the pool way too much credit and kind of like that and then just trying to like own people like they they just go for a bluff even though they know their hand shouldn't really bluff or it should like bluff mixed frequency and then they might even think the guy is is like probably going to call too much but they kind of they go for it anyway because there's like big ego problems and like kind of like entitlement of like I want to win the hand like I had a good bluff opportunity like in live poker it's so difficult to Landon, kind of, Landon knows all about that yeah, it's, it's, well, but it's difficult because you you play 30 hands an hour or whatever it is maybe less and yeah. sometimes you play zero hands in that hour it's like not uncommon at all to be dealt 30 like folds in a row and right. then kind of when people play they kind of often just like the entitlement of our oh, not won a pot in ages or so like making sure that you're solid in kind of being unemotional about those sort of things like not getting married to any hand which is like a huge problem i think people have it's like especially when playing deeper stacked because people come from online backgrounds where like if you have an overpair and a three bet pot like you don't often fold right but now you're 400 big lines deep you have an overpair and a three bet pot well like that can significantly significantly go down in value as lots of money goes in and people kind of yeah. just have two similar stack off thresholds yeah i can let me quickly interject when it comes to the idea of the bot people being emotionless or trying to strive for the idea of emotionless because there's a difference of trying to shut out the emotions that you feel or coming to terms that you have them as a human and then still dealing with them appropriately where you know that okay i know that this hand in this iteration has gone poorly for me even though my hand is worth so much i emotionally feel attached but i know the response is to let go and that's a bigger step to me now than it used to where when i was grinding online only caring about sims it's like okay yeah of course you're supposed to feel nothing because you never truly feel nothing in this game and you're never supposed to feel nothing in this game when you're especially playing a live arena where you're playing against people and there's certain things that are not actually zero ev in practice but they are in a theoretical realm so now coming to terms with your emotions and trying to make the best decision that comes from that without completely trying to neglect it and chuck it in the dust is what separates the good players from the great players. Yeah. And I think as well, when so many like hands are multi-way to the flop as well, like people, <laughs> so many, but just every hand goes three <laughs> or four ways to every flop because no one three bets. And then like, if they do three bet, people just cold call and like <laughs> a lot of limps. Yeah, exactly. Limping's so, pimping. So when you, when you go like massively multi-way to these boards, like, again, people just like overvalue hands. And like, I think one of the traps that you can fall in from playing online where like, don't often have multi-way hands because not many people play calls. Like most people play through bed only apart from when they're on the button or the big blind. So you, you're not used to the multi-way pots. And then instead of it being three ways, it's now five ways. So like people put in too much money with like one pair of hands and like, they're raising with hands that like do super poorly on like runouts where the board is dynamic and it changes and like just adjusting to those sort of things is like is critical and it's it's impossible to get in the reps of that online so you kind of have to 
kind of have to come and have that adjustment period like you were saying where like you get used to like playing four-way pots and like get used to playing a four-bet pot where somehow four people have seen the flop and <laughs> SPR is still four and it's just like well <laughs> yeah. how good is my hand really right. and it's yeah I mean but I mean those things like we're, we're, it's hard to deal with but again like there's still inaccuracies and mistakes from your opponents that lead to like again huge opportunities for win rate so you just you get to win a lot more in terms of like big blind per hundred win rate in a live game than you ever would in any online game yeah there's certainly the trials and tribulations aspect of going through the experience yourself realizing how different things are adapting and changing as an individual from the strategy that you think you know that will make more in one environment versus another and then being able to adapt and flow into the sense of what actually is happening in real time. Yeah. It just I mean, takes a while. It's also worth like saying some of the live games are really tough. Like the like the 10 20 40 games in Vegas are still like they're hard. You can't just like come in and beat them if you're not if you're not doing well. Like they're they're really good players that play them. Like often it's like the same sort of players that are playing online and like similar similar games so it's like the opportunities for win rate in those games is often just not as much and you do have to just be like studied and like just accurate in every spot which is difficult right. those games deep yeah they play big yeah play, yeah, big, yeah big i mean they're, they're just deep and they're tough and like you just have to be studied but like when you're when you come out and you play the two five games that's that's like where like you can have massive like big blind power hours and stuff mm -hmm. where you go four ways and then people put in too much money. Yeah, people are sort of saved by the time that is not wasted, but how slow the game is. Where if people were losing at the rates they are losing live, but playing in an online environment, the amount of money that would get removed from the pool would happen so fast. And it's almost non-comprehensible to online players when they transition to the live arena, where when you're playing 2-5 online, you'd expect your big blinds per 100 to be, if you're the best in the pool, double digits, where you're winning low double digits, like 10. And that's, you're a yeah. top 95 plus percentile in yeah, the field. I mean, like, that's like the max. Exactly. And now when you show up and play live and look at it through big blinds per hundred, you can genuinely, as the best in the field, win somewhere between 30 and 50. Reasonably. That's but, I mean, even more if the game's super deep and, right. and good. Because right? it's yeah. not actually 2-5, yeah. right? It's playing like 2-5, but you're actually playing X hundred big blinds deep yeah. and there's a straddle on sometimes. Yeah. and you can When a few people are putting a straddle on and a double straddle, that's just extra money for, for the rest of the table. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll get out on this. This is uh, kind of my final question. Um, how did you then, like, how did you become such a process-oriented studier? Uh, and maybe Landon, you could speak to this too, because my experience with Landon is uh, he kind of represented the opposite. He was a goal-oriented studier, right? It was, uh, I played this hand. I want to look at this spot. Uh, now I have an answer to this spot. And I'll work backwards as I as I put in more volume into understanding these things. Uh, from everything I can tell, you're very much more process oriented, where you're starting from the most zoomed out scope and kind of honing in as you uh, as you get a little bit better. 
were you always this way or was this something that kind of clicked uh, somewhere along the process? And uh, is that like how you intend to teach both your stable and when you create content? Uh, so, I mean, I kind of always been process oriented, I think, with poker. I kind of came in to poker, like working with solvers and like have always like just try to have more zoomed out approaches, kind of learn kind of run run scripts and have like lots of different flops to to look at and kind of learn flop strategies across the board and how things change on different boards rather than like looking at hand histories and running hands from from hands that I've played and more kind of like broad like we like we said like trying to understand what's different like what changes to change my strategy and kind of like that and that's kind of absolutely how i like coach and try and teach is that kind of always look at things from zoomed out like look at effective ways of studying so that kind of you can do the study on your own as well because that's just a way way higher like use of both people's time like coach and student if you can if you can go away and like learn things while you're not on call together then like the time that you spent on call is obviously been way more valuable yeah for me personally <clears throat> looking back through my own progress within poker and studying a lot of my learning came from the need of instant gratification right where you look at a solve and the solve gives you the answer for what you are looking for from a combo perspective you then can slowly get a small puzzle piece to the big picture. But when you have the heuristic approach of understanding how the global strategies look, where the bluffs come from on the aggregate, and where the nuance lies will allow you to make greater strides than just looking at the spot in itself and thinking, I had ace-king on 10-7 deuce in a three-bet pot, small blind versus cutoff, what am I supposed to do? But when you start in the game as so young and so new to the idea that there are answers in the back of the book, there is an inherent want to find those answers as quickly as possible to sustain your ego. Because if you now say that you're following the answers in the back of the book, the book says this, I'm doing this, it makes you feel like you're good at what you do. But in reality, the constructs aren't the same. And the difference between something like chess and poker is chess always starts with the same ranges, right? Each player both, right. ha both has the same amount of pieces. Where in poker, you're just operating on the grayscale of this is what it looks like in theory. But if you know where the bounds are and where the strategy comes in and where the check raises come from and why they want to use certain hands over others, certain patterns will just inherently exist within a game that has a lot of patterns in it and as humans we like to try to find them so once you try to find the patterns it's easier to then make the puzzle piece fit so i guess speaking to that have you felt like there's been a shift in uh the way you've approached study and uh the game as a whole now <clears throat> that you are a little bit more technically sound uh like do you find yourself more in the process oriented thinking because it sounds like you've worked your way back there i'm along the lines of I still very much care about the micro because that's just 
who, not who I am, but what's important to me is looking at spots and making sure that I have the right ideas in mind and place. But at the same time, realizing that it's not the be all end all of a situation because you and I had a back and forth that was relatively eye opening when I found a bluff in a spot when I had the impression of it's so hard to find bluffs here. How do people actually bluff here in this situation? And I still mixed for it. And you said something along the lines of you can't, why would you mix for a spot if you think it's under bluffed and people overfold? Why would you not just go for it pure? And mm. my response was, I still want to make sure my frequencies are in check and aligned. But you can't really live in both realms of this thing says it's good. You should kind of calibrate yourself, but at the same time, operate under different circumstances in a practical sense. So right. honestly, like end of the day, it's still a fucking work in progress and poker isn't easy, but it's definitely enjoyable to try to figure it out along the way. Yeah, I think it's very fair. What are your uh, what are your plans moving forward, Ewan? Uh, I'm in Vegas for the next ten days or so, then going back to the UK. There's a tournament series on, uh, and then after that, just kind of playing, and then back here for the summer for the series. So uh, making right. a software course, which will be released in. I can't you remember. Tell me. <laughs> Fuck. I, I think, I, sometime I think in the near future. In, yeah, sometime in the near future. In May. Yeah. I think it's early May. Your course will be out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is, what, we're in February right now? Yep. We are. Still February. Last time we checked. Okay. So, yeah, the Brokus course comes out uh, in March. Early March. Oh, so I guess you're April. Yep. Landon is May. I'm May. Okay. That it's going to be, be May. May. <laughs> that's not a dad joke that's a rad joke and on that note it has been a wonderful episode of the only friends podcast i'm so glad that you're here with us and we are looking forward to matt on day two of high stakes at the yes, bike we week are. please don't make me lose money again today <laughs> this is all personal i'll do the best that i can um let the deck choose you man i'm gonna try while we're closing this out don't forget that we have two academies coming up we have our final poker out loud cash academy this april april 15th to the 18th there are still seats available for that if you are interested in doing the poker out loud version of the academy head to academy.solveforwide.io again that's going to be the final version of that we run this year we're going to go back to the old format two tables no poker out loud just gameplay uh after the world series uh secondarily we're doing our one and only mtt academy for the year matt hunt is going to be the lead instructor for that that is going to be May 24th, I believe, 24th Fourth. to the 27th. Correct. Uh, again, you can head to academy.solveforwide.io for that. Uh, just click in the top banner. You'll see it announcing the MTT Academy. Um, we're also going to have more information available for you on the website there if you want to see how the days break down and what the format will be. From LA, the Bicycle Hotel and Casino, I'm Matt Berkey. These are my only friends. We're out of here. I'll see you guys tomorrow. This fucker took my outro. Peace. <laughs> Good show, guys. Unbelievable. This fucking guy. Thanks, Ewan. All right. All right. Well, now we can talk a bunch of shit.
Oh, hey, welcome back. Uh, thank you. You did great.